The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Today's scripture reading is in Ruth chapter 4. Um, it's in two parts. I'm going to start in verse 1 through 6 and then jump to verse 13 through 17. If you're following along on the Bibles under the chairs, it's on page 224, or you can follow along behind me. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth. Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. It's been the reading of God's word. You guys can be seated. So we're uh, closing out Ruth today, and um, this story, which has had a lot of sadness, right, for a short story, it's had a lot of sadness, but we're going to see that it actually is one of the stories that, that ends happily. It ends like kind of happily ever after. And we're gonna, what we're going to do today is we're going to see what is our takeaways from the story of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. And uh, one of the things that you'll see if you study the book is that there's two big purposes that the, the writer of Ruth had in mind as they, as they wrote the book of Ruth, as they wrote this story, which is a classic story, even in literature, ancient literature is considered a classic for even for people who aren't believers, who aren't Christians or Jews. Uh, there's two purposes behind it. Uh, first of all, we see it in this last, uh, this last section of, of chapter four, it is to show that God was at work in King David's line even before David 
David was born. That, that's kind of the culmination of all this. It, it ends by saying, which is kind of interesting to say that, hey, Ruth and Boaz, they, their son's name was Obed, and then his son was named Jesse, and his son was named David. And what we believe the writer is doing is he's sharing the story that the writer is to show us, and probably were writing during the reign of David, and they're writing to show us that God was at work in David's line even before David showed up. And that had some significance because, first of all, it shows us that David's line, even before it gets to David, was a miracle. Because this baby Obed was a miracle in multiple respects. Number one, uh, Ruth was, it seems that she was barren because she was married for 10 years to Naomi's son or something was going on there and she did not have any children. And then and secondly, what we see is, uh, without David's line, is that God made a promise later on to David that his throne would last forever, or what he was really saying was that the Messiah, or the Savior, or the Redeemer, the great Redeemer, was going to come from David's line. And we'll get to that in a minute, why that is significant. Uh, the second reason that God, uh, that God had, and the, the person who wrote this book, was to show how God redeems and restores the lives of his people. It's to give us a beautiful example of how God redeems and how God restores the lives of his people. And what we're going to see is how those two purposes merge here in the story. The, the line of David, the, where the, the great Messiah or the great Redeemer would come out of, and how he redeems and restores our life. Uh, we're going to look at two key verses here that's going to kind of frame uh, where we're going with this story. If you turn to chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. You can turn there. The women of the village, which is interesting because these are the same women who were talking about Naomi when she came back, and they said, is this the one that called Naomi? For now she's coming back, and she is uh, she's very bitter. She's full of bitterness. And she said, hey, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. Now these same women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Key, key word, a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a, key word, restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you more who, is, who loves you, is, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. There's two key phrases here that are sort of the themes of the book of Ruth. That is redemption and restoration. We saw it right in the, in the reading, right? So that Naomi, uh, she had, a, we'll, come back to, we'll come back to that in a moment, but her family had lost their land and they needed a redeemer to step in and save the day. And Boaz stepped in and redeemed the land and Naomi and Ruth out of poverty, he saved them. He redeemed them. And then we see that life is now restored so that even the women in the village say, Naomi, who had lost two sons and a husband, she has had a son given to her. They, they, they even named Ruth's son, her son, in, in name. The redemption and restoration are the two themes of Ruth. And it's not just the themes of Ruth. You can make an argument that redemption and restoration are the two great themes of the Bible. Redemption and restoration are the two great themes of the Bible. And we get a clear picture of them here right in a key moment and the big story of, of redemption. Now, here's what I just want to stop and ask you. 
I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk, but do you realize, I hope you realize, that the Bible is extremely a- applicable to you and wherever you are in your life. And here's why it's extremely applicable to you. I, I may not know you, may never had a conversation with you before, and I can tell you 100%. You might say, "Hey, this story of this woman and the you know there's a field and you know the, the redeemer comes in and exchanges a sandal." If you read the story, like I don't understand this whole thing, and I don't know how that would be applicable to me. The story of the Bible, the Bible is extremely applicable to you in your life because the problem that the Bible deals with is the same problem that every single one of us deal with in our life. Have you ever noticed that there's these sort of two tensions going on in your life? There's this one tension where there's this, this sort of expectation that things should be better than they are. You ever felt that way? Like things should be better than they are. Uh, Megan and I were uh, at a terrible movie the other night, but we saw a preview and it was interesting. And the interesting preview, so they, the, one of the quotes was, said that being a human is hard. Have you, have you experienced that? Being a human is difficult. It doesn't, we have this expectation that things should be better, but it, yet things always seem to keep going off the rails, right? Like you meet someone and you fall in love and you're head over heels and you think, how can this ever go wrong? And then fast forward like a month or two months or two years or 20 years and all of a sudden you're like, how can this thing even go right? You have a child, Megan and I have a little baby right now and she is so beautiful and precious and when she wakes up in the morning and she looks at you in the dark, I, I had her like this morning at like 4.15 and, and she looked up at me and she just smiled in the dark, like saw me. And I was like, oh man, how could anything ever go wrong with you? But fast forward, like not very long, right? And you're like, this person is a hellion. How do they get into my house? I just need a break. Like life feels like it should be better and easier than it is. It feels like it should be more holistic. It should be some, something's missing and yet something is missing all the time, right? It feels like it should be better and yet it doesn't seem to work right. We can't control ourselves, right? Have you ever had that situation? Like you have a bad habit or an addiction and you feel like, I know this is wrong. I know this is going to derail my life. I know it may even end up killing me, but I just can't seem to get myself out of it. Ever found yourself in that situation? Every single one of us has found ourselves in that situation. You're in a, in a relationship and they end up broken. You're, our political and economic systems, man, it doesn't seem like anything that we try, nothing seems to fix it. We have hurtful habits and the other side, it, it, you guys are just playing games with me at this point with the water bottle. We have this expectation that that life should be better, and yet it doesn't seem to quite ever work out, does it? And why can't we just stop it? Why can't we just stop the bad habits? Why can't we just stop with the addiction? Have you ever had that conversation with somebody? Well, just stop it. And then they can turn around and look at you and your thing and say, just stop the stupid thing that you're doing and we can't seem to do it. Just fix your broken relationship. Just get over it. Just fix what's wrong. And we can't seem to do it, can we? You know why we can't? Because the Bible tells us from the very beginning that God created everything good and he created us to be in that good, 
that good environment. And that's why we have this expectation that life should be good and better than it is. And yet sin entered in with Adam and Eve and it has come down all the way down the line to us and everything is broken and we're broken. The system that we live in is broken and that's why we can't ever get on the other side of the brokenness. You know what we all need? We need a redeemer. We need somebody to come in and fix the problems that we have made, the, the things that have been done to us and the things that we have done ourselves. We need somebody to come in and re redeem us and then to restore to us the life that has been broken, the things that have been messed up, the, the, the messes that we have made ourselves or have been made to us. In the very beginning, God made a promise to Adam and Eve, then he made it to Abraham. He said, I will redeem my people and I will restore them. That was the promise from the very beginning. In the garden where Adam and Eve messed up, God made the first promise. He said, I will provide someone, a redeemer, who will come in and will save my people. And now, down the line, Ruth and Boaz show up in the story, and it's significant in the bigger story because Obed, their son is going to be the father of Jesse, who will be the father of David, who the promise came that from David's line, the great redeemer, the great restorer would come. So do you see the, now a little bit of beauty and the significance of this story? It's a story of redemption and restoration that's played out in the line where the great redeemer, who would bring the great re redemption and the great restoration would come through. So let's see a few takeaways from Ruth really quickly. Uh, first, uh, we're going to see three things this morning. What does it mean? This is the question that we're asking. What does it mean to have a redeemer and a restorer? It means, first of all, that your story, your story begins with God's story. It means your story begins with God's story. It means nothing is ever lost. And it means your future is better than your present. What does it mean? To have a redeemer and a restorer, it means, the first of all, that your story starts with God's story. It means, secondly, that nothing is ever lost. And thirdly, it means that your future is always better than your present. Isn't that cool? Let's, let's, let's roll with that. So what we see here is in this Ruth chapter 4 is we see the process that Boaz goes through in order to redeem Naomi and Ruth and their, the property of their family. Now, the, the way they got here is really a tragedy in itself. The whole way that Naomi and her family ended up in Moab is very sad. It start, the story starts with Naomi and her husband and her sons dying in Moab, but how did they get there? Well, it tells us there was a famine in Israel. And so what, it, what this tells us is that times were hard, but it's interesting that really the only story that we have of anybody that left Israel and went to another country is Elimelech and his family. That's Naomi's husband. And so it seems to us that hard times fell on Israel, but extra hard times fell on their family, and it probably happened because Naomi's husband made bad decisions. He made bad decisions, probably, and that's why he had to sell the family land back home. And when that money ran out, then they, had to, then they left and went to Moab. And said they didn't stay in Israel. It seems like they rejected God's help, and they went to another country to look for help. And the other reason that we see behind that is because Elimelech and Naomi's two sons don't have Israelite names. They have Canaanite names 
which shows us that already that her husband was kind of going off his own way. He was going away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he went to Moab looking for help and looking for hope. And he ended up losing a land, moving to Moab, and his sons were named after Canaanite names and not Israelite names. And then when they get to Moab, things go from bad to worse. They're already a family in poverty looking for help. They're immigrants in a foreign land looking for help. And then while they're there, Elimelech and his two sons die, and his leaves, Naomi and the two sons' wives. And they would have been left without a protector or without hope in this foreign land. And they're absolutely poverty-stricken. They have no way to provide for themselves because they have no man. In this this season in in the world, ancient world, you had to have a man in order to provide protection for your family. And these ladies are stuck there, and Naomi says, hey, this is going to be bad. You ladies stay here in your native land, and I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to try to eke out some meager existence back there. And they say, no, we're going to go with you. She talks to Orpah, and Orpah ends up staying. But Ruth says something that's fantastic. She says, no, Naomi, I'm going to go with you. And here's what she says, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. Ruth had seen something at least somehow in the life of Naomi and the stories of this family told somehow that she had seen something about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that made her believe that that is the one and true God and I'm going to follow him and that means following you. And if, if that even means me leaving my family, if that means me leaving my existence, that means me leaving my identity and my security here in Moab and going with you to a different life and a life that seems set up to be worse and harder, because that's what she was signing up for. Naomi told Ruth, look, if you want any sort of a hope for life, you need to stay here in Moab, because then you can get remarried. Stay in your parents' house, and then you can get remarried, and then you can have kids, and you can have some semblance of a life. There's no life for you in going back to Israel with me. There's no hope and no life there. And Ruth said, you know what I'd rather have? I'd rather have the no hope life for you, with you, if that means following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, rather than staying here with security and identity here in Moab. And that's the first lesson that we have. Your story, your, any hope for your story is not found in you being the center of your story. It's not found in you seeking for identity and security outside of any other place but in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Jesus Christ alone. That is the only place that identity and security can be found for you. And whenever you try to find it anywhere else, then you can, you can find it, but it is fleeting, it is not lasting. Your story is only discovered by joining in God's story. But you know what? Everything around us tells us the opposite. You want to achieve them. You want to maximize who you are as a person. You need to achieve self-actualization. You need to be the greatest person that you can be. You need to hone your skills. You need to be sharper. You can be anything that you want to be. You are the center of the story. You, des- you design what your future is. You set your future. You set your legacy. And you know what the story of the Bible is? That that is exactly how mankind continues to trip over ourselves when we try to make ourselves the center of our own story. You know what? You are a terrible hero of a story. 
You know why? Because you and I are incredibly flawed. And when we try to make ourselves the center of our own story, we try to build our lives around us, it will always and continually fall apart. The only place where you find your true story is by leaving your story like Ruth did. I'm gonna leave my family and my security and my any real that seems like concrete hope for a future and I'm gonna go with Ruth. You know what? Going with, with Naomi sorry, was a very terrible practical idea for Ruth. She was setting herself up for certain poverty by going with Naomi. Except that that is the way that she could follow Abraham, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. She left certainty. She left her identity. And that's the only true path to finding your real story. When you come to Christ, there's no bartering. There's no saying, hey, Christ, uh, God, I want the good things that you could possibly give me if you're real. I'm going to believe that you're real. I want the good things that you could possibly give me, and that's the condition for me following you. I will follow you if you'll give me a husband or a wife. I'll follow you if you give me a good job, or I'll follow you if you take away this pain or this disease or this problem that I have. I'll follow you if you make my marriage better or if you take away this addiction that I have. I'll follow you if you give me that, and there's no bartering with Christ. In my Bible reading yesterday, I was in Luke, and it, was just, it continually struck me how people were coming to him, and they're saying, hey, I want to follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. And you know what? To me, that seems like a very valid excuse. Like, okay, that seems like a big deal. You go bury your father and come back and follow me. And Jesus says, no. If you'll follow me, there's no bartering. I'm the Lord and the King, or I'm not. God doesn't join our story, we join God's story and there's no bartering in that. If Ruth wants to follow him, she has to leave her security and her identity and follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob no matter what else it might cost and that's the only way to follow Christ. And that's what it means to leave our story and join his. It means I'm accepting that I'm not the center of my own story. It means that I'm no longer gonna think that my story is unique. Don't we think that as Westerners, as, as, as Americans, sort of as humans, like we wanna think that my story is unique. When we watch movies and we read books, we, we, like, we identify with the protagonist, right? I'm like, man, and if I would, I'm at the center, if someone would just let me untap, if someone would just help me release my great potential, man, God, I am made unique and I am amazing and nobody else can be who I am and I'm writing this amazing story. And you're, you know what the truth is? You may be uniquely made by God, but your story is not unique. Your story is only found when you join God's story and he is the lone hero of that story. You and I are not. You make a terrible hero, I make a terrible hero. We're too messed up. We're too broken. Naomi and Ruth were in this situation because of bad decisions that were made by people around them, and they could not fix it themselves. The only way that they could find 
any sort of hope for life was to follow Christ and follow him alone. Your story begins with God's story. Secondly, a lesson that we see from the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz is, what is it, as we're asking this question, what does it mean to have a redeemer? What does it mean to have a God who is restoring life to us? And here's the second lesson. It means that nothing is ever lost. Now, here, here's the interesting thing. About, think about Jesus' interactions with people who came to follow him. He was incredibly uh, stark with them to say to follow me means that I alone will be king. There will be no other king. You don't get to barter with me. You don't get to negotiate with me. I alone am God. And you find your story as you follow me. But uh, as he was talking about, man, can't, you need to count the cost before you follow me. Uh, in Mark 10, uh, Peter said, hey, Jesus, we have given ev up everything in order to follow you. And Jesus said, here's the truth. No one has given up anything that won't be restored to them a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come. Here's the truth. Here's what it means to have a redeemer. It means that for God's children, nothing of true value is ever lost that won't be restored. That means anything that we give up, like Naomi and Ruth did, in order, as Ruth did in order to leave Moab and follow Naomi to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, nothing that she gave up, nothing that she lost was actually lost that wouldn't be restored by God. Nothing is ever lost that is of true value that isn't being redeemed and restored by God. Here's the truth. Ruth, in order to leave Moab, in order to follow God by following Naomi back to Israel, follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in order to do that, she had to leave her identity back in Moab. But you know what she discovered? She discovered a new and lasting identity that could not be shaken and could not be stolen. When you leave your old life to follow Christ, you, it may feel like you're losing at times what you had built your identity around, but you will find a new and lasting identity that is unbreakable and unshakable. If I build my identity on my income or my uh, looks or, that would be a bad thing, or my athletic ability or whatever, any of those things can go in a moment, can't they? And they do. None of those things is lasting. But if we place our identity in being a child of God who, was, who is a person of value because Christ died for you and for me, and that's where our value comes from, then that's a rock-solid sense of identity and security that can never be shaken and can never be stolen. Even if your bank account goes to zero or negative, even if you no longer drive that car or look as awesome or are as athletic as you once were even if you lose your earning capability, nothing is ever lost. 
None of your losses, things, anything that you give up to follow Christ is actually ever fully lost. Any lost relationships, any lost possessions, lost time, seeming lost happiness, nothing is ever lost that won't be redeemed by God in this life and in the life to come. Does that mean, does that mean, like Naomi, that then man, the story's gonna end happily ever after. And though we went through a hard time, like our Boaz is gonna show up and he's gonna redeem and, and buy our property back and he's gonna you know, give me a son through my daughter-in-law and like everything's gonna be happy at the end. It doesn't mean that that's the way it's gonna roll out. But it does mean that full restoration for anything that is lost is coming in Christ. And you have a deep sense of identity and value and love in Christ that can never be shaken and never be stolen. It is forever. And you know what that does? It turns everyday mundane life into, into something exciting. So, so here's what happens. So Ruth and Naomi get back to Israel and they are, they are very, very poor. And Ruth says, I'm gonna go out and try to glean some field and hope, glean some, some wheat out of a field and hope that someone will have mercy upon me. I'm trusting, she was trusting God that someone was gonna have mercy upon her. Someone was gonna have, God was gonna give someone favor with her is what she says. And she gets out there and she starts gleaning out of the field and Boaz sees her and he comes and he protects her. And then as he cares for her, she comes back to Naomi and Naomi says, man, that man who protects you, is caring for you, is a redeemer for us, is someone who could come in and actually help us. And Ruth then went back to and obeyed Naomi later on and laid down at the feet of Boaz and asked Boaz, hey, would you spread your wings or your cloak, your clothes over me, which, is, which she was saying, would you marry me? Would you redeem us? Would you save us? And he ends up saying yes, and he goes about in order to do it. We see in the, the village the very next day. Ruth taking the small steps of stepping out and saying, I'm gonna go out and do whatever I have to do in order to make sure that we have some food to eat tonight and tomorrow. And I'm gonna trust that God's gonna give me favor. All of a sudden, those mundane tasks, and then her obeying Naomi the next, uh, later on, whenever she went to Boaz, her doing those mundane tasks, you know what they were? She became a sharp arrow in God's hand. Her obedience, her following after God in obedience became a sharp arrow in God's hand. He, as in his skillful hands, as he used her to accomplish his, to, not only redemption for her and Naomi, but in the line to come that he would bring redemption for all mankind. Nothing is ever, really, ever, a value is lost for those who are children of God. That's what it means to have a redeemer and to have a restorer. Lastly, what does it mean to have a redeemer, to have a restorer, the, the lessons that we get from Ruth? It means that your future is always better than your present. Look again what the women say to Naomi after Obed is born. They said, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. 
and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. Now what's interesting about this is this, the story of Ruth is a story about a redeemer. That's Boaz, right? Boaz steps forward, and, and, and the way this happened is what, when uh, Naomi's husband had to sell the property, most likely, in order to pay for his debts, uh, he had to leave. And the way the, the law worked in Israel is uh, no, land, no family ever fully lost land that was, stole, that, was, that, was, uh, that was sold. Every 50 years, you would get to a year of redemption, and the, fam- the family would get the land back to you. But uh, here's the problem. In the meantime, that property, that land could be redeemed or bought back from the person by a family member who agreed to step in and buy the property so it wouldn't be lost from the family. And then if the husband of the, of the wife was dead, a, a family member could step in and marry that woman and their first child would be an heir of the dead man so that that, that family would not lose a name in Israel. So their name the family line, which is incredibly important at this stage in history, their family, their name, their family line, and their land would be, would be saved and restored. And that's why it's such a big deal that Boaz stepped up and redeemed this land and redeemed Naomi and Ruth because it did not go to his family. It went to the family of Elimelech. It didn't get to his credit. All the money that he expended in and paying off the debts and buying this land back and restoring the name of Elimelech all went to his account. It didn't go to his account. It didn't go to Boaz's account. So it's an amazing story of a redeemer stepping in, redeeming the land and redeeming Ruth and Naomi. But in this, in this interchange with the women or in, the, in the village, they're not talking about Boaz, which is interesting because he's the one who was the redeemer. They said, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. You know who they're talking about? They're talking about Obed. They're talking about the baby. They're saying this baby that has been born is going to be a redeemer and a restorer of life to Naomi. What they're saying is he's going to be an heir that's going to look out for Naomi in her old age. He, which is a weird thing because nowhere else do we see any, any other person other than an actual redeemer being called a redeemer in the Old Testament. And why is that? Well, here's an interesting thing. Where was this baby born? This baby was born in Bethlehem. So this baby that was born in Bethlehem was going to be a redeemer and a restorer of life to Naomi in her old age. And what this is giving us a picture of is that this, this child, Obed, his son would be Jesse, and his son would be David, and his son all the way down the line would be Jesus, the great restorer and the great redeemer. And where was he born? In Bethlehem. There's this idea, there's this pointing to another redeemer, a redeemer that is to come who will restore life to his people. Life is restored to, to Naomi. Her, her land has been redeemed. She's been redeemed. This child has been given. So now there is a, an heir to her and to her family's line. But 
She gets a daughter who is worth more than seven sons, which is an amazing thing to be said at this time, that no woman would be ever considered to be equal to one man. And they're saying, this woman, Ruth, which is an amazing, awesome story, that this woman, Ruth, is worth more to Naomi than seven sons, which was the idea of what a, a perfect whole family looked like. Naomi's husband's name is redeemed and he's restored. His, their property is re- redeemed and restored. And she gets a son, an heir through her grandson. And you know what this does? This shows us what a redeemer does. A redeemer re- comes in, he redeems what has been lost, and he restores life where it has been lost. The one, the re- great redeemer who would, be to, who would to come, Jesus Christ, who would, by his death on the cross would pay the debt that you owe that you could not pay. Ruth and Naomi could not pay back the debt that they owed on this land. There was no hope that they would receive this property back for generations to come. And yet a redeemer came in and at great debt to himself, at great cost to himself, he paid the price for their land and for their name to be redeemed. And that's what Jesus has done for you. You know how you can know that have any sort of assurance that, that your story can begin with God's story, that nothing of value is ever lost and that your future can be better than your present is to fall under the protection of the great Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Who at great cost and great paying a great debt that you and I owed, just like Boaz did for Naomi and Ruth, would then turn around and then pour out and restore life to us. Your life, you will never know true and everlasting and full life, the life that we feel that we long for, and yet things always seem to be broken. You will never, you will never taste true and lasting life until you fall under the protection of the great Redeemer, which would be the great, 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 great beyond grandson of Ruth and Boaz, the small r Redeemer. What has Jesus done to redeem you? He's paid your debt. What is he doing now? He is restoring in you. He's restoring life. And you know what he's doing in creation? The story of the Bible, the story of the world is that God created the world, that we fell, that he is coming to redeem it, and then he, is, he came to redeem it, and he's coming again to restore. And in the meantime, he is working through believers in the church as we proclaim the gospel in Mali and in Myrtle Beach and in Columbia and Eau Claire. As we proclaim the gospel, we see lives changed. He's restoring and redeeming life to those who are around us. And one day he'll restore full life. And this world will be all that it was meant to be. The Bible says he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. You know what the ending of your life is like if you're a believer? It is Naomi laughing as she holds this child in her lap. And she looks and sees only what God could do in redeeming her and Ruth and restoring them. And that's what God, that's what that's God's future for you or if you're his child. He's redeeming and he's restoring life for you. Now, this morning, here's my question for you: where do you fall? With the, with the great redeemer. Do you fall under his 
command, under his lordship, under his leading, under his wings that he has spread to, for your redemption and your restoration? Or are you right, still outside writing your own story where you're the sinner and you're the hero? And my question is, how is that working out for you if you are? Today, this morning, do not let another moment pass before you bow your knee and confess that you are a sinner in need of redemption, that you are a lost soul in need of restoration. You need life restored to you, and you bow your knee to the great Redeemer today and accept the free gift of salvation that he is offering and pouring out to you today in this place. Don't let another moment pass without doing that. And if you're a believer, here's my question for you and for us to think about this week, today and in our community groups this week, to ask the question, what do I need to do? Am I still, as a believer, still trying to write a story where I'm the sinner and I'm the hero? Or do I see that there's a great story of redemption and restoration that God is writing and God is guiding and I get to join him in that story? Your story and my story that we would write on ourselves are very boring, very terrible, very small-minded stories. But God's is a cosmic, global story of redemption and restoration that goes beyond you and me. It goes to the lost people along the Grand Strand. It goes to the people in Mali, the people in Eau Claire, the people around the world, and your neighbors, yourself, your family members that do not know him as their redeemer. You and I get to participate with him in the restoration of all things. We get to participate with him in redemption, just like Ruth did with Naomi and Naomi did with Ruth. And their name they would never know. Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and even Obed and, and maybe Jesse as well, they all died having no idea what Ruth and Boaz's and Naomi's following after God would affect in their family and would affect across the world in history. We are preaching about them this morning today. Their obedience they participate in the great redemption and restoration of all things and you and I get to do that as we follow our Redeemer and we discover our story begins with God's story. We trust that nothing of value is ever lost when we follow the great Redeemer and we believe that our future is always better than your present. That should be good news for the believer. You know what you're doing as believers? If your future is truly better than your present, no matter how good or bad your present might be, your future is always better. If that's true, you know what it means? It means you're playing with house money in your life. And it means that we can risk all that we have for the sake of the kingdom without ever fearing loss and knowing that we get to participate in God's great story of redemption and restoration. God has come in Christ to redeem us he is redeeming us. He will redeem us. He has come to restore us. He is restoring us, and he will restore us whenever he returns in the future. That's the God that you and I serve, the great redeeming and restoring God. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us.
Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.